0: Good morning good afternoon good evening you're listening to outsize returns i'm your host samuel austin taylor sir sam t on all the social media channels and today we have a fantastic guest straight from the bay area she runs an organization called the corporate concierge group and i'm wanting to bring her on the podcast today because i'm in a few groups here in the bay area and she's always providing insightful information great valuable content and resources and so, if you're an entrepreneur building a technology startup or a business leader, Shay Baker is somebody that you definitely want to know about uh, because she can definitely help your business grow and flourish with some of the things that she's doing in the corporate concierge group. So, without further ado, Shay, welcome to Outsize Returns.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Sam. I greatly appreciate it. Um, Definitely looking forward to this interview.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that we were talking um, beforehand, but tell everybody a little bit about what the Corporate Concierge Group and the resources that you all offer to entrepreneurs and business leaders.
1: Okay, so um, the Corporate Concierge Group is an organization that I launched three years ago in 2017. And the purpose of me creating um, the company was because... I had a company um, that I'd started before this as um, an outsourcing solutions um, company. And when I launched my business, there was a lot of different information that I did not know, Um, definitely lacked a lot of resources from capital, didn't have a mentor. So a lot of what I was building was based on basically trial and error, a lot of research, Um, attended a few um, workshops and seminars, but um, some of the information I could apply to my business, others, other information I felt like was just not valuable. Um, so what I started doing was I started blogging my experience, like just different, um, things that I would run into as I was building my company and just kind of giving, um, new and aspiring entrepreneurs, um, an idea on what it's like to build without having, this um, support system behind you, or access to the information that you need and kind of just um, documenting some of my mistakes um,
2: mm-hmm. in terms
1: of like creating operating procedures and like how that will help streamline your processes to um, just different mistakes that I made in terms of for example um, the company that I had at the time it was an outsourcing solutions company that we provided Um, workflow operational type of um, services board. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
1: uh, and it was for large financial institutions and mortgage companies. And in the event that a mortgage bank would say like, hey, listen, I have this audit that's coming up and we need to be able to bring in additional resources to to help us audit these files, they would contact us. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the issues that I ran into was Um, specifically related around payment. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations at that time would pay um, companies, servicing companies like myself on a 30 to 45 day cycle. And I wasn't prepared for that. So that meant that I was always operating in the red because I had no additional income coming in between those 30 and 45 days. I wasn't prepared for that. So um, just, Uh, documenting things like that kind of would give someone who was probably thinking of launching their own like business support company and how to negotiate your um, contracts so that you can receive um, payments within a certain time frame when working with those type of organizations and then that led to led me to um, hosting um, free webinars different types of workshops that um, kind of educated people about how to build businesses. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to learn about different industries. So what I would do is I would learn a specific industry in terms of how to build a business and then would create either an ebook or a blog post about it and then host a a webinar, um, educating aspiring and new entrepreneurs on how to build and grow their businesses. So if we're we're
0: talking about podcasting, you research how to create a, a, a great podcast from start to finish, then have yes. a webinar. Okay, got it. Yes, Just to kind exactly. Of te- okay.
1: And so that led me to um, kind of listening to the feedback of the, um, the entrepreneurs who would read my blogs or who would attend my webinars and getting feedback from them in terms of what other type of information would, do you need? And a lot of the feedback that I received was you know, um, mentorship to, um, I just need a support system to keep me motivated. So that, um, that's when I launched, um, in December, 2017 was an entrepreneur support group here in the Bay area because um, part of an organization called YBSF young black in San Francisco, several entrepreneurs are in that organization or that group. And we would meet, um, at least once a month and we would discuss what our business challenges were and what resources they were in need of, with the goal of connecting them to those resources. And Mm -hmm. that expanded to (laughs) me fast forward today to consulting with startup companies and working with aspiring um, entrepreneurs, but then also working with founders who are building startups. So yeah, a long journey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super long journey. But it's one that I think entrepreneurs, one, need, and two, are always constantly in search of because your advice, maybe, maybe they think that it's, it's appropriate, maybe not. And each type of mentor or, or coach that they run into, you know, it's kind of hit or miss because it's all contingent based on the entrepreneur. That's why, you know, one venture capitalist that could have success may pass on this certain investment because he doesn't think that it's a fit or the vertical is not the right time, et cetera. And another guy or, or gal you know, thinks that this this opportunity is a no-brainer and, and is a slam dunk, and so you have to kind of meet a number of different people because each person kind of thinks a little differently and articulates their messaging and mentoring a little differently as well too. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. What is uh? What do you think is the 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 biggest missing component in terms of strategic planning from entrepreneurs that are trying to build their business? Are, are there any similarities that you know, most entrepreneurs make this mistake, you know, in the first 12 to 24 months when building their business.
1: I think that, um, what I found is um, entrepreneurs tend to think I have to build at a fast pace. Like I have to scale at a, at a pace that is, um, comparable to that of my so-called competitors. Mm-hmm. In actuality, I think that, um, one perspective of building is to think of it as building your business in stages. So once you understand what stage that you're at, then you can know how to build strategically in that stage. And then on top of that, um, just realizing that, you know, obviously it's not a race, but if you can build at a pace that's conducive to you being productive and also seeing success, then it might not necessarily, um, beneficial for you to, to, to scale at a fast pace. Uh-huh. So I, I always tell entrepreneurs is to like, you know, depending on what stage that you're in, if you are in the uh, pre-seed stage then you should be focusing on like your, you know, building a, a minimum viable product to, um, attracting and retaining customers to, um, and then the next phase should be, you know, once you attract and retain customers, then you then you start focusing on um, how can I grow um, and or scale these customers at this point. So I think that if you look at strategic building from a building block perspective, then you could be more efficient as an entrepreneur.
0: Gotcha. And I think those similarities. Uh, a lot of people talk about you know the the same thing that you did to get from idea to pre-seed is going to be vastly different from your series A to your series B and from your series B to your series C as well too. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the best way for entrepreneurs to grow their tribe and their following? The reason I started this podcast is I have a lot of entrepreneur friends like yourself that are building businesses and they may, you know, make one Instagram post or one blog post, but unless they have a social media manager that's really documenting from start to finish their whole entire journey. I think some of the content that they could be creating, they're not doing so just because they're so invested in their business. By documenting that piece of whatever their journey is, it kind of helps build their tribe of their following because you know you s- seeing somebody pack up a bunch of boxes for this subscription business would kind of get more eyeballs and attention to some of those entrepreneurs. What do you kind of suggest these guys and gals do to, to build their tribe and their following so they can get more customers uh, from the attention that, you know, they can inevitably be documenting.
1: Well, a couple of things, I think we live in a society where people do not respect the, um, they don't respect the, the grind in between from when you start up until when you see, see a certain level of success. hundred percent,
0: hundred percent agree.
1: agree. <laughs> it, it's glorified that you reach a level of success and yeah, Um, And there's always clearly this, this missing piece, um, which is, you know, what did you go through to get to that point? You always hear about the um, entrepreneur who quote unquote um, found success overnight. But in reality, this entrepreneur has been building for those for 10 years. And even the entrepreneur has been building for 10 years when they make it to a certain level of success. A lot of entrepreneurs do not tell you what that journey was like for them other than it was hard, right? Hard. You don't hear about like, um, You know, I, I slept on an air mattress for like two years and lived with, you know, 10 people before I got my first customer. Like, you rarely hear those types of stories. And not saying that everyone struggles to reach a certain level of success, it's just that there's a piece of the entrepreneurial storytelling that we never hear about. Absolutely. So, I think that's why a lot of entrepreneurs are saying, well, I haven't arrived, so I have nothing to document. When in actuality, it goes back to what you said is if, there was an entrepreneur that was showing themselves, you know, um, packaging their products, or even going to the post office and mailing them. That's yeah. still and yeah. inspiring to someone because you started with something, and you clearly are showing us that you have customers in which you are servicing with your products. So I will say that you know we have to really reimagine what success is
0: yeah. today. I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know I think being in the bay there's so many entrepreneurs out here that are building tech startups and just and just businesses in general but you have the ability to actually see first and foremost kind of the hard part of entrepreneurship because you see people sleeping at the train station like in their cars or you know living with 10 people in a 1600 square foot apartment like I know people like that, you know, yeah. not not tons of them, but I've come across a, a few of those guys that, you know, have 5,000 downloads in the App Store now. And so ha- having seen that journey and they're the guys and guys that I'm I'm talking about. They're not documenting or showcasing that piece of content because that's really the the story because if they inevitably do make it we know because we actually saw it, but nobody else does. They'd only see kind of the the end result, you know, when the cake is already baked. So, right. yeah. Um,
1: but going back to what you said about building your tribe, yep, yep. um, th- there is something I feel that's also missing from um, building a company. And that aspect is community. And I do feel like sometimes building community is an afterthought for entrepreneurs or some entrepreneurs feel like, well, if I don't have like a lifestyle brand, then what's the purpose of me having a community? Uh-huh. But I feel like if you're like a web developer, your community could be um, your peers, which are web developers, or your 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 community can be those that are that would be in need of your services. Uh-huh. It's, and, and the thing about it is. Um, building community, obviously it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort,
2: uh-huh. but
1: at the end of the day, you can convert a lot of those community members into actual customers and brand ambassadors yeah, where they're yeah. consistently highlighting either your your company and in, in what you're doing, as well as purchasing your products. Right. So um, I think, um, again, a, a lot of entrepreneurs feel like, you know, uh, the type of business that I have, I, I just don't see the value in building a community versus others might think like, well, I, it, it's, it, it's too time consuming for me to mm-hmm. focus on that. And they don't see the value in it. Others see the value in it. And they build companies, um, around communities. So
0: mm-hmm. what, in terms of building a community, what areas of suggestions do you have for the entrepreneurs that we're talking about? should they build a community through a Facebook group or should they use master networks or doesn't matter? You just need to have a central place where some of the like-minded people that are attracted to your brand or your product or your service can kind of meet and talk about what new features and some of those other things.
1: I think it's a combination of, of both. I okay. started building my community through in-person events because I feel like you can, develop a better sense of someone's personality in person. Uh-huh. And obviously we're in, you know, due to COVID-19, you cannot do in-person events, but um, I would su- suggest like any um, online platform where you feel like your target audience may be is a great way to start. Um, Twitter is one of them. I know a lot of people, you know, they, they don't like Twitter for various different reasons, but one thing I can say about Twitter is you have access to just about anybody within a matter of your fingertips. There's no other social media platform like that. And it's in its existence. And what I mean by that is LinkedIn, you would have to connect um, to someone that's on the platform and hope that they accept you as a connection request. Mm -hmm. Versus Twitter, those very same people are on Twitter and you can easily tweet them without having to go through a connection request and feature and talk to them and and really see what their personality is like based on the tweets that the tweets that they, um, that they, that they post or, um, you know, if there's a company that you want to work with, that you can see yourself partnering with as a, as a brand partnership, those brands are on Twitter and they respond like that because they have, you know, these social, obviously they're on social media for a reason, you're likely to be able to pitch your idea or access someone on that team of that company via Twitter than you are on LinkedIn. Unless someone on LinkedIn actually, you know, introduces you or you're connected to that person, so. Yeah.
0: You know, it's funny you mention that because I was on Twitter from 2009 to about 2016, 2017. And I just deleted everything. I thought that a lot of the problems that were on Twitter or that happened because of Twitter, maybe I was not contributing in regards. But I thought it would maybe easier for me to remove myself from Twitter than to tell everybody stop tweeting this and all of those things. After taking four years off of Twitter, I realized that none of that stuff is really going to change. And you know, like you kind of just got to find your own lane. And so
2: yep, exactly. I just
0: started. I just started following anybody that's an entrepreneur, anybody that's a business builder, tech companies, real estate guys, and you know, I probably follow I don't even know 1500 people or something like that right now. I probably have 100 followers. But to your point, it's a great way to have a contextual conversation with whoever you're trying to target. And if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you can find funding. There's a lot of, there's a I'll tell you what the real unlock was. I would meet entrepreneurs that were building startups, raising angel funding. Mm. And they would ask me my Twitter name. And I'm like, I got off Twitter. Like, you know, I know you got email. And they got email as well, too, because they're trying to be a little bit more accessible when they're they're building their business. But I had just felt like I had to get back on. You know, it was something that I was actually missing out on, not vice versa, you know. in terms
1: And of let me tell you how these people on, how people use Twitter to amplify mm-hmm. their brands. Yep. And um, going back to what you said about stepping away from the platform and come back on, I, I actually started Twitter in 2013 and I, it was just too much for me. It was too much going on. I didn't know how to use it uh-huh. in a way that would benefit my business. So I was just like, I, I, I'll leave it alone. I came back to it in 2016 because I had planned to launch the corporate concierge group in 2017. So I redid everything. And um, what I've learned is, There are individuals, and I've seen this with Instagram as well too, they would literally gather together online in what's called a pod, meaning four or five of your friends would get onto either Instagram and Twitter, and whatever it is that you were tweeting, your friends would just respond back.
2: Mm -hmm. Whatever
1: it was that you posted on um, Instagram, your friends would immediately respond in the comment section because we know with with instagram the engagement um actually helps to boost your um your posts Uh so um i noticed that whenever these particular pods would for example say i have a a a course that an e-course that's coming up they would literally retweet repost the e-course
0: the, the e-course would, hustlers on twitter man i i love those guys man
1: <laughs> they would literally repost each other's um, yep. projects whatever it was that they're working on and then they would actually purchase them and would say that you know this is what i learned from this course and this is what helped me with my business because they're literally putting each other on not mad at the hustle but they found a way to to make a way for all of them to get paid in a sense for all of them to increase their brands. And the thing about it is like, each of those individuals within that pod has their own following. So what's happening is as they promote each other's projects, they're promoting each, they're literally cross promoting and, and, and promoting each other's brands, um, on each other's uh, social networks. So your, your projects are being seen by an audience you don't have access to who are not your followers.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: how a lot of those um, entrepreneurs and uh, those side hustlers are able to amplify their brands using those platforms, and yeah. it
0: works. It does work. It, it works. It works wonders. And you know, coming back again, like you know, you said, you know, trying to find that that lane. You know, especially if you have a course, you can kind of disregard all the nonsense because you can do enough stuff to get great engagement but it may not be the right engagement that that you're actually looking for but you can use some of those same tactics you know if you have a community or a pod like you mentioned to create the engagement that will actually convert to a course or something that you're selling or trying to promote as well too so that's uh a, that's a, that's an interesting point cuz i've i've been observing on that and i've probably bought 3 or 4 courses on gumroad or podia just to kind of see kind of the format for some stuff that i'm thinking about doing and some of these courses like you know they may be a 100 bucks 40 bucks like they're not they're not you know 1100 or or you know three easy payments of you know 399 or something like that so it's affordable and and if these guys are making a ton of money from it you know i got nothing but respect for these guys as well too
1: let me tell you about the (laughs) e-course hustle yeah so I actually learned this recently, not going to say any names of the brand, but I know that this person's hustle, Uh meaning this person would say, you know, I made $2 million selling this course. Uh And the way they promote the course is, you know, that the information was so valuable and that people jumped on it. What a lot of these entrepreneurs are not telling you is they actually go on what's on PR tours.
2: Mm-hmm. Meaning they
1: get on stages and they line up speaking engagements they get press, and once they launch their course, that's exactly what they talk about when they're doing in speaking engagements when they're um when they're in the press is they they talk about this course that they created, yeah, so they're building a brand for themselves, obviously and right. uh, you know these thought leaders in this particular subject but they're also highlighting this course that they created. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, the idea that some people may have is if I create a course, then people are gonna buy it because it has this, 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 this great information. But the reality of it is, is the other part of that is you have to literally promote yourself in a way that you are visible across various different audiences, which means you have to, um, what I'm seeing is that a lot of course creators are literally going on press tours, literally putting themselves in every single media publication that you can think of. Um, again, asking to be speak to to to, um, to asking uh, or lining, lining up speaking engagements to on various different podcasts, promoting themselves and their and their courses. Mm-hmm. So that's what's helping to sell the course, not that the fact that they just created it, right? But because they've they essentially went on
0: this press tour to promote it. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, 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 uh, I think, I don't know if I heard Gary Vee say this years ago. I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I always have because of the, the former job that I had, I would spend a lot of time on the car and listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I'm going to give him credit because it, it may have been him, but what he was talking about was everybody needs to think of themselves as a media company slash, whatever they do. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because, you know, if you look at Rihanna, Rihanna is a media company, i.e. like musician, but now she sells Fenty or whatever else that she does that's made her way more money than any album that she ever could have put out. See, and you see this, this formula over and over and over again. And I think that's kind of the that's kind of the the frustration that I have with not it's not a frustration, but I think that's what I would suggest to some of the entrepreneurs is that one, if you're bold enough to pursue this this bold idea that you have, documenting those mistakes and those hardships, that is going to be the secret sauce that propels you to actually, you know, get this hundred thousand dollar check that venture capitalist wants to know that you're sleeping in the car, you're doing everything that you can you're living on six dollars a day or whatever to to have your dream come to fruition and not documenting that is a huge mistake because later on you know 10 years from now it could be repurposed content that you can leverage into something else for one but also that story of that journey may be the thing that gets you what you need to get you from series a or from precede to series a and so on and so forth um, i think that's a good segue because I'm assuming that you identify as a black woman. Correct. Yeah. Am I wrong? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Um, I, I um, <laughs> I, um, I think that it's a huge problem. And one of my goal, well, I thought, I think that it's a huge problem that definitely needs to be solved in terms of venture funding backing black female entrepreneurs. and my thesis is they I don't know if they're, if, and when I say they venture capitalists are missing, missing the good ideas, not being able to find the talent. I don't know what the excuse is. I don't think that I'm going to say, I don't think I have some friends that would debate me on this, but I, I, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe that it's intentional. I believe that there may be an idea that's presented and maybe the the founder be it the 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 black female entrepreneur just doesn't come across to the venture capitalist that has the check is is really sold them for whatever reason and in, in in my case i believe that that's a missed opportunity because these women are incredible and they have the ability to build fantastic businesses i can't understand for the life of me why they're not getting more funding. And a part of this podcast I wanna do is highlight and amplify those, those entrepreneurs and their voices if they're building something and they're trying to, to build a, a venture scalable business as well too. What do you think um, is, is kind of the biggest reason that black female entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs specifically, aren't receiving venture capital funding uh, for some of the businesses that they're trying to launch?
1: Well, unfortunately, um, you know, there's a number of factors, but one of the main driving factors is um, racial biases. Um, mm. y- you know, I think that, um, I think that unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, when a, when a black woman is, In a room, and they are talking about their company. um, You know, sometimes you can, uh, like, as a black woman, you know, uh, sometimes you, I've delivered information Mm -hmm. and have been told, like, um, you know, the person didn't receive it because they just didn't, they personally just didn't. um, How should I say this? Like, a lot of times they're not receptive to what we're saying because of who we are as opposed to what we're presenting. Mm-hmm. And the underlying issue is unfortunately racial biases. Mm-hmm. And and when you say not- racial,
0: racial biases, do you think that diversity is the the solution? Like if there were, if there's 10 VCs and all the, the GPs, all the LPs are 95%, uh, 95% white. If there were two, Percent, not not two percent. If there were two black people in those rooms, or a nice percentage of diverse founders that can meet with diverse LPs or GPs in those rooms, it would have a, a better outcome.
1: I think that it, it depends on who has the decision-making abilities. Okay. Right? So I could be in the room all day long, but if my decision doesn't hold any any, any weight, then my sitting in that meeting doesn't really necessarily contribute to the, the overall big picture here, which is, should we invest in, in this woman or not? Should we invest yep. in this company or not? And if the deciding factor um, is based on those that don't hold the majority rule vote, then you will have the same outcome every single time. Yeah. And that's what a lot of black VCs who actually work within, in, in, in general and in general partners and those that work within the industry consistently state is that if we don't have, um, the ability to make decisions on these deals, then, you know, me having a title pretty much doesn't enable me to make an impact. And Mm -hmm. that, that impact is being able to make the decision to say, yes, we should, um, invest in this, in this founder. Mm -hmm. Um, for this reason. And um, so I also will say that a lot of times it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, when you said that um, sometimes VCs don't necessarily understand either the market or the product in a way that um, either makes sense to them or they're not used to seeing. Um, I think, I think another problem that there is, is VCs and a lot of people within the ecosystem believe that there's one way to build a certain type of company. Uh This is what you should be doing to build an e-commerce company. Uh This is what you should be doing when you're building a subscription based company. The problem with that is there are a number of ways to build a company. There's a number of ways to reach a level of success. And I feel like if these companies don't fit this box, then those, uh, VCs believe that this isn't a viable business. Right. Or not that it's not a viable business, but I, I, I just don't see myself investing in it because it's too risky. Uh-huh.
2: Um,
1: and that's really um, t- telling because a lot of times what I've seen on, on Twitter is a lot of these VCs will have these meetings with these founders and will get on Twitter and talk about um, the the founder was unable to, you know, tell us what the market size of <laughs> uh of, of their <laughs> of their startup and this yeah. is why we turned them down but if we probably heard the conversation we might have heard the founders state what the market size was but mm-hmm. maybe the VC probably did not understand the value of that particular product or service within that market space which is why he's saying or she's saying that um they just don't see that product um being able to compete mm-hmm. in that in that space so I think there's a lot of factors that are playing in, that are playing into the inability for Black women to get funded, but a lot of it, unfortunately, the underlying issue is racism.
0: Yeah, I I would love for there to be a a fund that was the size of Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia or or any of the, any of the the major players. That dedicated a hundred million dollars to black founders, only black founders, because I think that with that kind of dedication, they can see the returns. And maybe it and honestly, maybe it needs to be even bigger for a longer time frame. Maybe it needs to be a billion dollars over a 10-year time frame. It does, I mean, create 10 funds, do whatever you need that to do. And from my perspective, I think that racism, unconscious bias may be two issues. I think that they're just missing a, a huge, huge money-making opportunity in addition to those issues, which are probably more than likely, you know, the the the, the real reason uh, behind it is sometimes as well too, which is unfortunate. And I hope that conversations like these and building our networks uh, and cross-referencing, you know, individuals that we know, you know, can help, um, you know, to decrease some of that as well too. Um, Where can people find you if they're looking to work with you? If they wanna expand their ecosystem, gain some resources, uh, where can they they find you at?
1: Well, I am definitely on Twitter. So my, uh, my Twitter information is Siobhan B. Oh, I'm sorry, Siobhan CEO. Um, I'm definitely on Instagram, um, the corporate concierge group. I am, uh, the name of our, our website is our concierge group.com. So if they want to be able to find me, they can, um, find me there. And, um, I'm definitely on LinkedIn. Okay. So yeah. Okay. On platforms.
0: Well, we thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your insight when things, I don't know what the new normal is. I don't even know what to like say anymore. Like whenever right. things go back <laughs> to normal, like, I don't know if, it's kinda weird. I like mean, we like I need to do like a mental health check in. How are you doing? Are you still like you taking your dog for a walk or like running outside? Are you getting some fresh air? <laughs> I don't know if you have a dog or not, but uh I went and played golf yesterday and it was just a good idea just to get out of the house. And yeah, you know, I'm an extrovert. Like being cooped up in, in the house is I'm going insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? me
1: too. Like I did I think it's like that restriction of freedom is what I'm not used to. Like I like just yeah. being able to get up and go to the store. Um, while it seems like something like a, like just something that just, I mean, I guess we can go to the store during a pandemic, but you know, there's like this mental anxiety that you, that you're going through as you're entering into the store. The fact that I have to wear a mask, I'm not necessarily free to go into the store as I want to.
0: Um, I I don't, I don't know if this is, you think we're going to be wearing masks for the rest of our lives? I hope not. (laughs) <laughs> like, and like i've talked to enough people and they're like man i don't know like we need a vaccine and i'm and i get all of my information from doctors and billion dollar companies and i'm like listen this nfl season is going to get canceled like roger goodell is talking yeah. about we're going way off talking but anywho <laughs> i i don't know what this new normal looks like and and i like being outside i like meeting my friends for drinks and just hanging out. Yeah, like,
2: exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: this is this is weird, man.
1: <laughs> and not just so. that, like, you know, the the you know, we went through this political unrest and oh my god. So I feel like we got hit with like all from all sides.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, that that's another reason. That was another reason why I decided to remove myself from Twitter was because so much negativity. You yeah. talk, I mean, if you want to go viral, all you have to do is put a bunch of negative, degrading, yes. you know, comments or pictures or videos. Those will get amplified, retweeted, yes. and it's just always in my face. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Let me just take myself off the platform. Like, this is not gonna stop. Like, stop re- I can't tell people to stop retweeting this enough and not and not, you know, still receive some of that. So I'm like, yeah. let me just remove myself. So um so yeah, like we've gone way off course but you, you can know also, um
1: create lists so that you're not having to like
0: I do that. Yeah. Okay. The pro- the other problem with that though is I follow every venture capital firm, I follow every good tech startup. They don't tweet.
2: <laughs> like
0: yeah, the, they're yeah. not active. So so you're you not, you're at the top of the tweets. I'm like, okay, well, let me just go back to the other side. And I, I think I've built that muscle to just ignore a lot of the nonsense.
1: But then that tells you like, you know, not saying that people who who are on Twitter all the time are not working, but it kind of gives you an idea on who's really working and who's not. Like who really, some people don't have time to tweet. Yeah. Uh, you know, every five minutes about what, you know, what their, what their every move is. That's one thing I noticed about Twitter is like um, some of those that have made it, um they tweet their every move yeah there. and yeah. um you know of course they're they're talking about their successes but it's like um you know how do you, how are you reaching this level of success but you're always on this app right um you, you know you can see all of their tweets back to back and it's just like w- when do you work but yeah that's yeah. another story by itself but um yeah I, I can
0: that's why video is so important because a five minute video just recapping whatever you did today or this big failure it's kind of a big idea. Like, I think that is, is a story that could be rebranded over and over and over again. Like, look, you know, I had to sell my townhouse in order to start this business. And, you know, talking to my wife, like tell them how, how pissed off you were, you know, like <laughs> entrepreneurs need to hear that story, you know, or vice versa. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, having that kind of conversation is really impactful because, you know, during the day they're actually in their business. I understand how, how hard that can be for sure.
1: Oh yeah, like telling, talking about your failures.
0: Cause yeah, for some
1: people, it's, it's traumatic. Like for some people, it's like, you know, uh, they, ha- I can, they I can have. I see that as well too. Because mm-hmm.
2: if
1: you hear, if you hear like a lot of these stories in terms of what people went through, you know, being homeless. That's I don't care what anybody says that is traumatic. I, I've yeah. been homeless as a child and as an adult, and for mm-hmm. me, it's really hard to. It's has been be a long time to even talk about it to people and let people know, and and let people know that at one point in my life I was homeless because it was just like one of those feelings that I felt like I was those moments I was consistently reliving that I didn't want to relive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine I, no one want to share that information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it's, um, it's, it, it could be it's, whatever the failure is could be a little embarrassing at times yeah. as well too. So yeah, I, I can absolutely understand that. Um, having said all of that, I, I do think that we still leave too much good stuff on the, on, on the table because like I look at, you know, today, Master P is uh, releasing the No Limit Chronicles on BET. And I don't know who is behind the camera documenting all that content, you know, from when he was in New Orleans to moving to Richmond, California here in the Bay Mm -hmm. area, but that's gonna be showcased. And I think that, you know, that story is gonna be highlighted. You know, a guy took a hundred thousand dollars and turned it to a hundred million. I wanna know how he did that, you know, like, you know, And so I think those stories, and it doesn't matter the business, you know, some entrepreneur can come from, you know, another country and come over here and, and have that journey, but he might not, he may not actually have the tools. And some of the guys here may not have them as well too, but if they do, and a lot of guys do, they don't use it to, to document. And I think that's a mistake. That's all. So. So you
1: would document your entrepreneurial journey.
0: I that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast. You know, being a a real estate investor, I left my company in in December 2019. What I was trying to do was a, a travel Airbnb rental business here in the Bay Area. A lot of people rent more than, well, let me say it like this. A lot of people rent more than they own in the Bay Area, but a lot of people travel to the Bay Area and there's a number of Airbnbs, VRBOs, HomeAways, et cetera. And so I think that that, pre-COVID market was going to continue to accelerate. And I wanted to be a part of it and and pay homeowners to allow me to rent their property and kind of manage it. I was going to have, I turned down three properties, uh, three properties in March where the owner and I were going to sign the contract. And I kind of just backed away, like, this is not going to be the right owner. Like we've gotten, I've gotten to know her a little bit, or gotten to know him a little bit, and they just weren't the right business partner. Because ultimately, it's a business. Yeah. And, and then COVID hit, and nobody's traveling. And so I'm like, well, I got to scrap that whole idea and kind of start over. But yeah. but the podcast was something that I always wanted to do in order to amplify those voices in real estate investing, startup, and entrepreneurship areas. Um, and kind of for you know my my belief to repurpose this content when i meet entrepreneurs this will force them if they have a technology startup to kind of sit down especially if i've given them an angel investing check of two thousand or ten i'm not rich or anything like that you know but helping them making it easy for them to do that i wanted this lane to kind of be that and then five years ten years from now we can have our second or third podcast interview and we could talk about that journey and i knew them in 2020 and now it's. 2027 and you had a successful exit or whatever yeah. so
1: people underestimate the power of um angel investors i think meaning just how talk to them how <laughs> angel investors are i mean angel investors are um they don't just give people seeds you know to 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 build upon but sometimes angel investors will come in at the right time to give you that, that the, the, the right amount of an investment that you need to continue to build your business. Mm-hmm. It isn't always about, you know, um, chasing after the, the venture capital firm money, because obviously they have, they have a lot more money. But um, I will say that, you know, I think a lot of people bypass um, angel investors because they probably don't see the value in them um, as they do in the venture capital firms. But, um, I, I, I think that what they don't realize is the value is not just in the money. Mm-hmm. A lot of times angel investors have access to resources, just like how your larger, uh, VC firms do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can give you a little bit more, de- um, a little more attention because they don't have to, um, work with a lot of a lot of um founders Mm
2: -hmm.
1: also you'd be surprised who angel investors are connected to Mm -hmm. it's always assumed that these larger firms have access to this huge network of individuals which is true but at the same time you never know if this person can help you secure a partnership that will essentially help you um build your company in a way that you know maybe a larger firm cannot yeah Um, absolutely so, uh, and you said that I actually launched um, a community membership program. It's called the CAP table. CAP table stands for community access and people. Because so I wanted to bring people together um, and really build this community around investing in startups and black founders, um, black and brown founders. And the reason for that is because um, I feel like, again, angel investors are, I believe that they are clutch. You know what I mean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but at the same time, I also think that just like how angel investors are sometimes overlooked, I think that we have a lot of um, overlooked talented founders who could do an incredible amount with this. Uh, can reach a certain level of success with just that seed investment
2: mm-hmm.
1: from um, from an angel investor, or um, just to get just to get that head start. Um, I agree. I also believe that if we can work collectively together and to be able to share resources and open our networks um, for these founders, for these angel investors, we will literally operate within our own ecosystem without having to rely on this larger ecosystem that's not inclusive and nor representative of who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, So that um, membership program will launch officially on August the first, and I'm still taking
0: registration. Where do, where 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 do they go um, for the cap table? Your website?
1: It it is on my website. Okay. So you should be able to register with the cap table um, on my
2: website.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, follow Shay. Um, she's active on Twitter. Uh, Shavon, <laughs> CEO. Did I get that right? Yeah. Siobhan yeah. CEO on the twitter uh fantastic episode thank you again so much for uh, for joining me on the show um, Thank you for the
2: invite
0: yeah absolutely and uh everybody take care.
2: have a good night.